At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Hey, good morning, church. Hey, we're, uh, we're a house of prayer, so let's, uh, let's continue to pray. Would you pray with me real quick? Father, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word. I praise you for the work that you've done in our lives. And Lord, as I bring the word today, I pray that you would speak through me in a miraculous way. And this morning, Lord, I pray that uh, you would get all the glory and that um, ultimately, Lord, we would see your kingdom come here on earth. Jesus, we're here to worship you, and we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, who likes money? I, I know just because a pastor's asking that question, everybody's like, no, 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 I don't know money. I hate money. Money's terrible. Who likes money? By a show of hands. Okay. Um, literally, fun question. Who would like $20 right now? I have $20 in my pocket. Come on up. Whoever, like one person, I'm, I'm not even kidding right now. Like, come to the stage. I'll give you $20 right now. I have it right here. Not even kidding. Morgan, you win. So there you go. Morgan, what's wrong with that, what I just gave you? No, you don't get any. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Welcome to Woodside, but no, we didn't, no. So what was wrong with it? It's Monopoly money, she said. So I saw, so yeah, it's a hack. I'm sorry. You get to keep it, though. I feel generous today. <laughs> um, so what's the difference between Monopoly money and real money? I, I actually have a real $20 bill right here. What's the difference? Here, there's the, di no, no. Everybody comes up all at once. So you got the ones, five, tens, on all the way up. What's the difference? What did they do to all the money there? Just shout out answers. It's okay. <laughs> Maybe opening up to the audience wasn't a good idea. Um, so you got, you got the ones, they put a lot of time and money, per se, to make money very hard to replicate, right? They, uh, they have strips on it. There's all kinds of numbers. There's stamps. You hold it up to the light. There's a transparent uh, Lincoln's face you see. And then what do they do to the Monopoly money? I mean, it's just like stamped paper. It's very simple. So a lot of effort goes into making that money so that it's not counterfeit like the amazing $20 bill Morgan got. Right, guys? So uh, we want to ensure that the money we use is genuine because genuine money has value. And in our text today, James is talking about important questions about faith. Faith uh, that is real and faith that is counterfeit, just like our $20 Monopoly money here. The questions today that I want to wrestle with is, is there such a thing as counterfeit faith? And then what makes faith real? Like real faith that moves, faith that uh, glorifies Jesus in the realest way possible. So over the past few weeks in our series, uh, we've been going through a series called Living Faith, and we've been discussing the book of James, looking at what it means to have a mature faith. 
And I've, I, this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. We've, we've gone through topics like uh, wisdom from God. Last week, we dealt with the sin of partiality or favoritism. And so this week is almost the culmination of the entire book of James, where the first few chapters leads up to this point, up to the slope of the mountain, and then everything after this actually goes up to this point. It rehashes what we're about to go through today. And so this is one of the most central pieces, uh, central teachings that James is about to share with us. And so faith in general, when you think about faith, it's very hard to define. It's a very vague word, but faith is central to life in the kingdom of God. Hebrews tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Paul reminds us in Romans while quoting from Habakkuk that the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is what unites us with Christ. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And faith is central to what it means to be a Christian. But the question is, is all faith the same? Like my faith, your faith, this guy's faith, is it all the same? James asks this question in chapter 2 in verse 14. So if you would, open up your Bibles to James chapter 2. He asks, can that faith save him? We're going to get to what he's talking about, but he asks the question, can that faith save him? When you're talking about what faith can save you, that's a weird question. And so kind of like that money, there is a real faith and a counterfeit or phony or fake faith. And so uh, James is picking up on an idea that we see Jesus teach his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount when he says this. This is in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man. That's sobering. That, that should stop you in your tracks. Uh, Pastor Jeff preached through this text a little while back and said that is the worst thing that you want to hear from the God of the universe say to you. Can you imagine living a life thinking that you are saved, doing all of these things, coming face to face with Christ and say, I never knew you. I don't know you. Man, so this is the topic of counterfeit faith. What makes faith real? The first point that we're going to learn today is that faith without actions is dead. And we're picking it up in chapter 2, verse 14, if you're following along. So in James chapter 2, 14, it starts with, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James starts out this section with two hypothetical questions. Uh, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith without works? 
Uh, this hypothetical question is almost, I'm gonna pull out my, uh, my driver's license. Don't take pictures though, I don't, wanna, I don't want my identity stolen or anything like that. So it's like somebody holding up their driver's license or I have a driver's license here and you saying, what good is it having this driver's license if I don't use it, if I don't drive? Like, yeah, it's in my pocket, but I never actually use it. And James is saying the exact same thing. What good is it if someone says, I have faith, but does not have works? And then the second hypothetical question is, can that faith save him? And in the original Greek that James is writing in, he wrote that question uh, in, a, in a phrase, in a way that it's an obvious no. Like, absolutely not. Why, why? This is a hypothetical question with an absolute no. That faith cannot save him. And so as we, as we move on a little bit um, after that, we get a hypothetical situation. The hypothetical case directly refers to a brother or sister in Christ. Now, we have a food pantry here. We love serving our community, the homeless, the working poor. Um, but that is what, what is happening here in James is not specifically referring to somebody out on the street. This is specifically talking about those who are closest to you. This is your brother. This is your, the person that you do life with, those people right beside you here in this room. And it talks about how they're lacking daily food and you pretty much turning your back to them and not even helping them at all. And this is very similar to uh, 1 John 3.17. I'm going to read it. 1 John 3.17 says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? And the answer is, it doesn't. God's love is not in that person. If you see this need and don't help, what good is your faith? And then we get the definition of fake faith in verse 17. It says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So stop and think right now in your own life. We're going to get to this a little bit more, but what kind of faith do you have in this moment? What kind of faith are you living by right now? And when you talk about counterfeit faith or fake faith, it's almost faith with quotation marks around it because it really isn't faith at all. It's just a shell of a thing. And so what does dead faith look like? What does this fake faith look like? Uh, Charles Swindoll had a couple examples that I want to read. He says, suppose a member of your adult home group has lost his job and can't buy school clothes for his family. And you just got a really big raise. Awesome. Money's great, right, everyone? Everybody loves money in this room? You're all sinners. Um, I am as well. But instead of opening your hand to your brother, you merely pat him on the back and say, we'll be praying for you. Or put yourself in another place. An unexpected illness hits your family, and the medical bills have made it difficult to stay afloat. Instead of tapping into their benevolence fund to help you through this tough time, you get nothing but a card from your pastor that says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Romans 8.28. Which is true, yes. But where's the action? Where is the work? Because there's a real need. The person that is closest to you, you're doing life with, your brothers in Christ with, There's that real need, and then there's this dead response of, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. I may or may not pray for you. 
How many times have we done that? I've done that. I'm guilty of it. Think about a car. Uh, a car. I have a picture here. Um, what is wrong? So you're looking under the hood right now. You just pop the hood. What is wrong with this picture? Somebody yell it out. No engine. There's no engine. This is a, in nothing, pretty much nothing, yeah. This is a shell of a car. Again, it's a car. Would you even call this? Is this even a car? Because what makes a car a car? Something that can actually drive and get you from point A to point B. Unless you're like taking it to a show or something. And I know a lot of you car people are thinking, what kind of car is that? Maybe I could get a deal on, a, on an engine and maybe fix it up and sell it. It's not the point. But this, the, the engine is missing. This is not a car. And in the same way, just like our faith, it doesn't become a true car until that engine is, uh, is put into it, which is the next picture here. In the same way with faith, works enables that faith to become real faith. Some other examples of phony faith in real life is this. Um, I call this the census Christian those who check the box on the census. I'm a Christian, but then do nothing. Then you have the Sunday Christian. It's the Christian, one day a week you're here in these seats, and that doesn't, let, that doesn't influence the rest of your life. You go about your life the same way that you always have. Then you got the childhood Christian. This is uh, the Christian who, or the Christian, who has placed their faith in their parents' faith, who has been raised in the faith yeah, my, my parents are Christians, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a Christian too. Or you got the political Christian who's really just a Christian to check that box as well. There's a lot of different ways where we can use Christianity and not actually be changed. So the, like, why would you claim genuine faith if you actually have counterfeit faith? The, I mean, this is, this is deception. It's living a lie. And I'm just going to say, be real with yourself and ask, am I really changed from the inside out? And I'm not pointing the finger. I, this was middle school Tyler right here. Middle school Tyler was the Tyler coming into these seats, putting on the smile, dressing the part, acting good. I was serving, but I actually wasn't changed from the inside out. It wasn't until high school that I actually saw the fruit of the Spirit come out of me. I had true love. I had true patience and joy. And I loved Jesus. Like, that's, that's the foundation of our faith is Jesus. Do you love Jesus? And so do some personal evaluation. What are you doing that shows you are a Christian? And ask God to reveal if your faith is dead. Because right now, does your life show that you are saved? Imagine if, if Christianity were outlawed and they knocked on your door, would there be enough evidence to incriminate you right now? Or at your workplace or in your family, would there be enough evidence to show that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? And then as a corporate as an entire church, those who argue against Christianity always say the phrase, well, the church just isn't being the church. You know what that means? They, they have this idea of what the church should act like, and they're not doing those things, which is partially true. And as a, as a source of encouragement, man, this, this Woodside Warren, this church, 
has been one of the best churches I've ever served at because we are doing things. We are making an impact in this community. We have a heart for those outside of these walls, bringing redemption to a broken community. And so, I guess you can pat yourself on the back, but this church really does an amazing job at acting out their faith. But the question is, are you partnering with the church in doing this in your own personal life? So, faith without works is dead. What is real faith? This is our second point. Is that faith with action is alive. Faith with action is alive. So we're going to pick it up in verse 18 now. It says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We're going to stop right there. There's a lot more to it. But in verse 18, this is another hypothetical question or situation. Again, comparing the difference between faith by itself and faith uh, with works. What is genuine faith? And this this is our big idea for today, is that genuine faith is revealed through actions. Genuine faith is revealed through actions. You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. But instead, I will show you my faith by my works. It is a revelation of that faith. Let's continue in verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So right there, we have three giant illustrations that we're going to go through. The first, we we receive this illustration of the demons and the faith of, of demons, really, And then we receive the character studies of Abraham and Rahab, two Old Testament characters. And then we receive the illustration of the body and the spirit. So first, demons. Demons are a reality. This is spiritual warfare going on around us. The Bible has multiple citations of angels and demons. And so demons, it it claims right here, going back to uh, the section that we just read, he said... Uh, you believe that God is one. You do well. And you believe God is one. This, this is a confession known as the Shema, which, is, which comes from Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was a prayer that the Jews would pray um, daily, and James celebrates that his opponent would do this. But then he equates it with the faith of the demons. Isn't that weird? Right? Do you often consider, yeah, demons have faith, but what is demonic faith? Demonic faith is 
cold. It's highly intellectual. It's all about the facts. But instead, it lacks a life that matches those facts. It's a complete lack of submission as well. So I'm, I'm going to ask, like, is that your faith today? Are you so caught up in getting the facts right that it has not infected your life so that you can share that with others and actually act that out? The second illustration here is Abraham and Rahab. These are completely, uh, two completely different characters, if you know them at all. Um, they are, but, but they are two obvious examples of outward action. I'm going to compare them really quick. Abraham, um, actually both of these people are referenced in Hebrews 11 in the Heroes of Faith. Hebrews 11.17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and he was offering his unique son. And then later in uh, Hebrews 11.31, it talks about Rahab. It says, By faith Rahab, the prostitute, received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. So this isn't the first time that James is bringing this up. Other authors from other books have brought up these two people. Abraham, he was the father of the Hebrews. He was a man of power and respect. And the outcome from all of that is he received God's promises. Rahab, on the other hand, was a Gentile harlot. She she had terrible reputation. She was a prostitute. And she was a breaker of God's moral laws. But because of these two heroes of faith, you have on the complete opposite spectrum, we are somewhere in between. Meaning it is possible for us to act out our faith if these two people can act out our faith, can act out their faith. So what is the result of their works? If you go into the stories, we won't have time for that, but I'd love for you to go and check it out. Abraham, though he didn't know how God was going to fulfill his promises, He had an unwavering trust in God's power. He offered, he he allowed Isaac to be born miraculously. And God said, uh, he, he tested him to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. And he trusted God. And because of that, though God saved Isaac from that, through the lineage of Abraham, eventually uh, Jesus Christ was all the way at the bottom. And Jesus Christ was able to be Uh, in that genealogy of Abraham. And now we, as Christians, are now counted as uh, true believers and sons of Abraham. Rahab, we read in Joshua 6.17 that when the Israelites defeated Jericho, Rahab and her household were spared because of her courageous faith. And we learn that Rahab herself became an Israelite, though she was a Gentile. In fact, she became one of the four Old Testament women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? A prostitute is in the genealogy of Jesus. There is a respect for women in the Bible. There is a respect for this woman. And we see from Abraham and Rahab that faith with action is alive. As we move on, I want to know one challenging area. Take a look at verse uh, 24. It talks about how you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Justified by works? Does any of you, does that throw up a red flag for anyone? So when we hear the conclusion of this verse, it seems that it contradicts other biblical teaching. 
For instance, the Apostle Paul declares in Romans 4 and Galatians 3 that we are saved by faith alone. Right? You don't have to prove yourself through any kind of work. And so how can James now say that we are justified by works and not faith alone? So it seems like we have a Paul versus James dynamic right here, like they're about to go head to head. And we have like a grace versus works right here. But the simple answer to this, is this a contradiction, is no. Um, it's almost two sides of the same coin. And I actually have a coin to share this illustration. A golden coin. Does anybody have one of these now? This is a sermon of all, everything about money. I have lots of money in my pockets right now. <laughs> Joking. Um, so two sides of the same coin. If you look at Paul and his theology of grace, he talks about our past justification. Justification meaning we are made right with God through Jesus Christ. In that moment, you are saved. And from that, it, through faith alone, you are saved. You are counted right. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. This is the root of salvation on this side of the coin. This is the root of everything that you have in Christ. This is how someone becomes a Christian. On the, on the other side, what we're talking about today, James talks about our present justification. Our present justification. Uh, the faith through works. It is the fruit of salvation. This is how a believer lives as a Christian. Does that make sense? So this is how one becomes a Christian, and this is how a believer lives as a Christian. I think about, um, over here in grace, I think about the thief on the cross as Jesus was being crucified. You have a thief on the cross who gave his life over to Christ and says, you are Lord. And what does Jesus say? I will see you in paradise. Did that uh, thief on the cross serve in the food pantry twice a week? Did that, three, did that thief in the cross serve in kids' ministry, love his neighbors? No, but he was counted as just. But then we have the character study of Abraham and Rahab. They are justified by their works, that through their life, they show that they are saved through their works. Does that make sense? So you have grace and works working in tandem. And then the last illustration is the body and the spirit. We, he, we see here the, the separation. It talks about how as soon as you remove the spirit, the body is dead. And in the same way, if you remove works from faith, it is therefore dead. It talks about the necessity of works, just like the engine in the car. You take away the engine, it no longer is a functioning thing. It is hollow. It is useless. Your faith is useless without action. As an illustration, I have a, I have a story right here. Anybody um, go to Niagara Falls before? Great. Uh, Charles Blondin uh, was a famous tightrope walker in the 19th century. One of his most famous acts was his traversing the Niagara Falls gorge by tightrope. Blondin did it on several occasions with variations, including being blindfolded, even on stilts, However, the story goes on that on one occasion, Blondin crossed the gorge pushing a wheelbarrow. When he returned to the crowd after doing it, he asked them if they believed he could carry a person across the wheelbarrow, in the wheelbarrow. 
The crowd enthusiastically shouted back that they believed that he could do it. It was then that Blondin asked for volunteers. No one came forward. <laughs> Would anybody volunteer? This is the difference between saying, yeah, I believe that, and actually doing it, right? Like, I, there's no way. I, I would believe it, but there's no way. No. And so this is a reminder that just because we say we believe something isn't until we put action behind it that our true faith is demonstrated. This is why James sees faith and actions as, as connected, and genuine faith will always result in action. So this connection between faith and works allows us to evaluate James doesn't tell us this so that we can judge others or feel self-righteous. Man, I surfed so many times last week. I'm so good. You see that person? They're not even involved in this ministry. How could they? But instead, for us to be assured that our own faith is genuine and effective, we have that assurance. We should ask ourselves the hard questions like, is my faith impacting the way I actually live? Have I seen changes in my life that line up to the reality of Jesus and his kingdom? This isn't to create fear, but to establish assurance that God's grace has covered our sins. But scripture is clear. We are saved by faith alone. It is not the things that we have done to earn our salvation. It is not our works that ultimately justify us. It is only our faith Christ has done the work. Now we work as an outward expression of our faith. There's nothing you can offer to God that he doesn't already have. But we must remember that genuine faith is revealed through actions. So how do you walk away from this message? First, do some personal evaluation. This morning, even your actions if your actions are revealing to you that your faith might be a counterfeit $20 monopoly bill, God still offers the gift of salvation to you. Yes, even you. Lean into the conviction if you are feeling the conviction right now. Ask God for forgiveness. A genuine faith that is revealed through actions doesn't start with actions. It starts with faith. And real faith is so simple. The Bible talks about how it's so simple a child can do it. A child can be saved. Jesus died for my sins. I am a sinner. God, you are amazing. You are my Lord of my life. I turn my life over to you. It is so simple. This is the gospel message. He wants your heart. And the rest will come in time. There's nothing you have to prove to God. Give your life over to God in this moment to experience that salvation. And one day you will show the evidence of your faith by how God has changed you. And then if you have faith in Christ and you clearly have shown the love of Christ through what you do and what you say, cling to that assurance of your salvation in Jesus. Cling to that salvation Find peace that you are saved. You were lost, but now you are found. You now walk as one of the redeemed. What an encouragement. You don't have to earn it anymore. Jesus has done the work. There's nothing you can do 
that he already doesn't have, that he hasn't already done. The Father just wants you. And then last, as an encouragement to the entire church, this church works, as I said, but do you. If you're not involved in some kind of ministry right now, we have so many open spots within our kids' ministry, student ministry, cafe, greeting team. I can point you in the right direction. If you want to get involved, I'm happy to point you in the right direction. If not in this church, then get to serving your neighbors. Get to serving your coworkers if you don't have the time. But do something. Don't just warm the seat that you're in and walk away unchanged. Get to work and show that you love Jesus. And let's get to doing God's work. Let's pray. Father, we love you. This is a hard passage, understanding that all faith is not created equal, Lord. It's hard to understand the truth that some faith is not real. Father, we don't want to hear when we come face to face that you never knew us, that we worked in vain. And so, Father, in this moment, I pray that we would lean into the conviction if you're providing conviction right now. I ask that the Spirit would do a mighty work this morning. And Lord, for those who have turned their lives over to you, Jesus, I pray that they would continue to do your work, not as a form of earning salvation, not as uh, something to prove something to you, but as a revelation that they are saved. Jesus, you are our rock. You are our cornerstone. And you are the author and perfecter of our faith. And there's so much to be thankful for in what you have done for dying for us, for rising again three days later. You have eternal power, and we place our faith in that eternal power. Lord, help us to have faith that does something. Help us to have faith that makes a difference for your kingdom, not just for this world, but that gives glory to you. Lord, I pray that as we work out that we would bring uh, the, the gospel, the, the truth of what you have provided for us to a, a lost and broken world. This world needs you. And so, Lord, through our lives, may people see that we are Christians, that we are followers of Jesus. Help us to be motivated to do this after, after this ends, on Monday morning, on Tuesday morning. Lord, help us to have this consistency in our life. We can't do it by ourselves. We need your spirit. So help us, encourage us, and provide us the strength to move forward. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.